This is the Hunt for Wellness Podcast with Dennis Cook. It's another great day for wellness. And this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, hello and welcome to another Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, aka Bones, and I am super excited about today's show. Dennis Cook began his health coaching career in 2009 while serving as a mental health technician in the U.S. Air Force. During his enlistment, Dennis observed that the airmen who displayed the most resilience were also the airmen who regularly practiced excellent dietary, exercise, and sleep habits. Upon departure from the Air Force, Dennis went on to earn a BA in psychology, a master's in healthcare administration, and a graduate certificate in sports nutrition. Dennis is also a certified strength and conditioning specialist with a diverse background in physical culture and training. With six marathons under his belt, along with multiple triathlons, CrossFit competitions, and also having coached athletes in multiple powerlifting events, Dennis is well-equipped to answer all of life's questions about exercise, fitness, nutrition, and health. Dennis also practiced what he preaches, and on October 23rd of 2021, his 38th birthday, he's attempting a challenge called The Six. The goal is to do a 100-pound weighted pull-up, 200-pound strict press, 300-pound bench press, 400-pound squat, 500-pound deadlift, and run a sub-six-minute mile all on the same day. And he's doing it to raise awareness to the veterans charity called We Got Your Six. And in today's episode, Dennis is going to bust through some of the common myths when it comes to achieving optimal health. Find out why red meat is actually good for you, strategies around sleep, how breathing exercises are actually great strategies for endurance, the best exercises to do in the gloom, and so much more. And if you like this episode, make sure to share this with your fellow packs, family, and on your social media. But before we get to today's episode, let's talk about our weekly health tip. Our weekly health tip this week featured on the COT podcast was about balance and stability using an exercise ball. By working on your core muscles and balance, you ensure that you stay active, prevent injury, and optimize your king. When you sit on an exercise ball, you are forced to engage your abdominal muscles and practice better posture. Because the ball is unstable, you are forced to constantly engage your core muscles to prevent you from falling over. This will lead to better spinal stability that can improve back pain as well as help you burn more calories. The size of the exercise ball will depend on how tall you are. Packs who are 5 foot 5 or shorter should use a ball that is 18 inches. 5 6 to 6 foot, 22 inches, and 6 foot 1 or taller, 26 inches. When sitting on the ball, be sure to place your feet flat and at hip distance. Sit up straight with your legs positioned at 90 degrees. Set your desk in front of you and set the computer monitor at eye level to prevent neck pain. When first incorporating an exercise ball as a desk chair, you may need to do it in shorter periods of time. Experts recommend no longer than 20 minutes, just like any muscle that you begin to exercise and strengthen, it will take time to improve and can be sore during the training process. So packs consider getting an exercise ball to help with your stability and balance. Not only are they great to have for stretching and abdominal strengthening, but are much more affordable than that ergonomic office chair. Now, on to today's episode. All right, thanks again, everybody. Uh, this is Dr. Tunis Hunt, uh, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom, and I am super excited about our guest today. I have Mr. Dennis Cook joining us. Uh, Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. So as you know, this is a podcast that we're 
mainly targeting towards other men across our country and our world uh, in, in the um, F3 universe. Uh, do you know, uh, are you familiar with F3 yourself? Uh, I attended one workout. Okay. Um, and I don't know if it's official, but I think at the end they tried to give me the name Princess, which uh. <laughs> I don't think I'm a big fan of that. So is that uh, what stopped you, know, you from coming you back? Have some leverage. Yeah. I, no, it's not, but um, it didn't help. <laughs> So you went uh, one time. So, you, so you're familiar yeah. with F3. Um, how'd yes. you learn about F3? How'd you get out there and, and start that out? So a friend of mine, um, a prior client, a friend today, he brought me out. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically it. Okay. So you went out, you exercise, they kind of put you in what we call the circle of trust, which is our opportunity to get an idea of who you are, uh, some of your life stories. Uh, we always say, give us enough to give you a good name, but not too much to get a really good name. So you either didn't give enough information or you gave too much. Uh, but in any case, you ended up with Princess. Uh, why do you think Princess? <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to know. Um, I think it was probably forgotten about. And now I probably just made that permanent if I ever come back. Um, but, you know, yeah, there, there's usually a rule of thumb. If you don't like your name and you want to rename, usually it's worse the second time around. So uh, if you can stomach Princess, maybe maybe yeah. that's what you want to keep. Yeah, it's all good. I, so I will say I did go there and I asked if at the end I could, you know, come inside the circle and offer, um, you know, some nutrition counseling or my services. So I think it might be the nutrition piece. I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, in any case, so we appreciate you joining us and allowing, you know, our guys to learn a little bit about you and some of the information that you want to share with us. So give us kind of a little bit of background, your professional background, who you are, what you're doing uh, as a career and kind of led you down this health and wellness pathway. Yeah. So I am in Olathe, Kansas right now. Um, I am working two jobs, one as a strength coach, basically personal trainer, and the other as a nutrition coach or really kind of nutrition education specialist, if you will. Um, and I say I got my coaching career started when I was in the Air Force. I was a mental health technician in the Air Force. Um, and so, you know, my undergrads in psychology and I studied psychology but for me, as an active duty airman and, and seeing all the troops, um, I, it was, to me, it was very obvious the connection between the troops who were really all in on fitness. You know, they're hitting the gym every day. They're eating well, that type of thing. Um, they weren't the ones who were coming into the clinic. Not, and now, look, people come in for all different reasons. You know, you had a tough deployment. But I just noticed a trend that physical fitness and mental health, there seemed like a really strong correlation there where the folks who are struggling with maybe it was depression or whatever also needed to improve on their PT score um, and, and, you know, get their weight in check and get their fitness in check. So that kind of led me down, I think, the path um, to where I'm at today. There's a lot of things that happened between there, but that's sort of the, the quick, quick. So speaking of the path you're on today, what specifically are you doing? Um, like for me? Well, um, no, I mean, you mentioned being a, a strength coach and nutrition. Like, yeah. what does that kind of look like on a day-to-day -day basis? So, so I own a, a box or a it was formerly a CrossFit facility. Uh, really, we're just kind of doing general population fitness. Uh, we have some Olympic weightlifters in there, powerlifters. Um, and so I own that. I do a Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. I do a group fitness class and then I have personal training clients. So that's where I'm kind of doing hands-on with the barbell work. I think today I'll kind of talk about the shortest synopsis of what I try and get people into is barbells and beef. Um, so that's the barbell side of things. And then I actually work for um, like an, an, I'm going to avoid saying it just so that way I don't have any conflicts of interest, but um, a grocery store, like a natural foods grocery store. And I'm employed full time 
um, to educate customers and the crew on nutrition. So we do one-on-one health coaching. We do uh, outreach classes, uh, cooking demonstrations, all kind of stuff. And that's been interesting because there's a huge focus on like functional food, functional nutrition, supplements, um, healing diets. And so really in that capacity, people are coming to me. Some are coming for, you know, I want to lose weight, but a lot are coming with like osteopenia or really it's all over the map. I mean, the, the only thing I have to hard say no to is cancer. If somebody says, Hey, I'm dealing with cancer. It's like, I, I just can't even touch that. Um, but otherwise like nothing's off limits and it's strictly education. So it's short term. Um, and I, I think the reason I'm able to do that, you know, kind of toe that line of, is this medical care? It's obviously not, but it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're the healthiest person in the world or you're going through some sort of health, um, you know, illness, you kind of need the same things diet wise. And so that it doesn't really change. So I'm just educating people on how to optimize their diet. Um, and then there's like targeted supplements and all that, but yeah, it's really a pretty simple message at the end of the day, the things that I employ. Gotcha. So personal trainer, own the gym. So you have clients that come to you to, to work on what we call the King or the, the physical fitness aspect of, the, of health. And then you also counsel and guide people in dietary, whether it's supplementation or even strategies when it comes to feeding their, their system. We call that the queen in, in F3. So kind of hitting okay. two sides of the coin there. Uh, which, so maybe that's where the princess came from. Uh, you know what? Right, that absolutely I, could be. That's got to be it. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll I put it all together now. I'll <laughs> we'll, I'm okay with it then. Okay. Very good. See, we can justify anything in F3 and make it sound yeah. good. So yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, as a physician myself, I find that, you know, you can't just concentrate on exercise. You can't just concentrate on nutrition, that it is kind of this one, two punch when it comes to getting people healthy. So let's kind of talk through some of that today and, and let's sure. kind of share some of what you consider optimal strategies when it comes to improving nutrition, improving overall physical fitness and so forth. Uh, you know, you and I had a chance to kind of talk offline and we kind of discussed a few things. You mentioned having like four myths as far as kind of what people bring to the table when it comes yeah. to uh, getting healthy. So kind of maybe yeah. share a little bit what you consider those four myths to be. And, and let's talk about some strategies to overcome that. Sure. Yeah. It's funny too, because I was talking with a client yesterday um, and she's a, she's a private client, but she's also dealing with autoimmune stuff. Um, and so we've just been doing walks every Monday. And so we get to talk about all kinds of cool stuff, but it was funny cause I was really like reflecting and I was telling her about this podcast on what I do. And I was like, you know, my message is so simple, but, and I have clients that stay long-term and I stopped to think about it. I was like, you know what I really am. I'm a professional myth buster. Like, because once you understand what I say, then it's just a matter of breaking down myth after myth after myth and keep, you know, you want to stray away and I keep pulling you back. So anyway, that's what I, I thought about. So I think, you know, my actual career field is uh, professional myth busting. <laughs> um, and so there's many, there's way more than four, but kind of like the, the top four that I just deal with every day, day in, day out. Um, apply to what I would call call the four pillars of fitness. So you have food, sleep, movement, mindset. You know, I have like what I call master keys. So little, you know, one piece of one tidbit for each of those that kind of, even if you just did that in those four areas of your life, you would see huge change. But so the myths, I think for food, um, it's got to be that a healthy diet must be plant-based. That would be myth number one. I don't have issues with plants. I, you know, some people in the carnivore community would say that plants are maybe even toxic. I don't go that far. I just think it's way overcomplicated to try and tackle full-on optimal nutrition going the plant-based route. It's going to be really challenging. 
So you're being more specific about like vegetarianism and veganism per se. Yes. Is that kind of what you're referring to? I, I think if we're talking about optimizing nutrition to do it through vegetarian or vegan is quite a challenge. It's becomes very complicated. I'm not going to say it's impossible. And if you're somebody who's awesome at it, cool, but uh, I have an easier way. So, so yeah, so let's talk about this because, you know, that is not typically what we hear in mainstream nutrition. Uh, certainly, it's always the mantra of eat more fruits and vegetables and, you know, everything green is good for us and everything that goes on a tree, we should be able to consume because God created it. And uh, that's really what we need more of in our society and that all sickness and disease is this absence of, you know, dietary fiber and dietary fruit and dietary vegetables. So you're, you're, you're basically saying that, that you don't in and of itself have a problem with consuming those foods, but to concentrate or to try to make that a staple of a main staple, I guess, uh, of your diets, not necessarily uh, a perfect fit for everyone for sure. And then maybe not maybe go as far as say it may not be optimal for anyone. So tell me a little bit, maybe dive in a little bit uh, into that, uh, if if you don't mind. Um, What are some of the things that people get in trouble with when it comes to maybe adding or just concentrating on that aspect of health? Sure. So I'll tackle it from the other side, you know, to be perfectly blunt with it. If you ask me my personal opinion, you know, what's the optimal human diet I would say animal-based, okay? okay? That's basically a version of carnivore that allows you, you can have plants, you can have other things, um, but those are all kind of just extra for, for pleasure, for enjoyment, and, and maybe for targeted like sports performance. Um, and so and that for me was a big paradigm shift. So this actually started when I was studying nutrition. I have a graduate certificate in sports nutrition. And, you know, you were going through these modules, right? And you're learning about the importance of all the different vitamins and all the different minerals and all the different phytonutrients or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, this sounds complicated. Like, I don't want to take you know, I don't want to take a thousand vitamins a day, right? I don't want to be swallowing pills. It's like, there must be a short list of foods that can get me all this nutrition. Surely, right? We've been, we've been around for millions of years. Um, Like somehow we did it. We weren't, weren't dying of deficiencies. So I literally just started plugging into Google from A to zinc, vitamin by vitamin. Okay, foods highest in vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, right down the line. And every time one food made it into the top five and it was beef liver. And I'm like, and what's funny is at the time I was like, well, that's gross. Like, okay, discard that. And I was still like, I, that final 10 I came up with in that exercise didn't include beef liver. Cause I was like, that's insane. Right. Um, but, you know, it did definitely include eggs um, and, and beef and sweet potatoes or potatoes is kind of was like the top three. I was like, oh, OK, meat and potatoes. And I was like, well, it kind of makes sense. Like you've got a lot of cultures that incorporate some version of meat, and potatoes, meat and rice or you know, meat and a grain. Right. Um, and then later down the line, I learned, you know, about carnivore and I was introduced to, um, Dr. Paul, what's, uh, Paul, Paul Saladino, Saladino, Dr. Paul Saladino. Um, um, I'm going to have brain farts right now, but, uh, Sean Baker, Dr. Sean Baker. And I read, um, Paul Saladino's book, the carnivore code. And for me, it was like this just mind blowing thing. Cause he's going, literally all you have to eat is beef. No, now granted there's a caveat, it's nose to tail. So that includes bone broth. It includes the organs, beef, liver, heart. But if you just ate the whole cow, nose to tail, you're essentially getting everything you could possibly need. Like you're getting at least the bare minimums, if not the optimal amounts of vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, proteins, et cetera. And so I was like, 
for me, that was just mind blowing. Cause like, what, okay. You know, if you buy any nutrition book, diet book, right. There's going to be this elaborate plan with all these different foods that are supposedly the best and there's meal timing and, and all this. And I'm like, so I can just eat beef and like, that's enough. <laughs> right. Um, Kind yeah, of no, I mean, like I no, just want to like let that sit because that was for me like well, I like kind of just reflected on that for a while. Yeah, uh, so you- so I mean, and I hear what you're saying, and and in full disclosure, uh, everyone uh, out there, I have personally read this book he's referring to called The Carnivore Code. Uh, there's a medical doctor named Paul Saladino, and he uh, he really kind of is championed currently as kind of this leading. Uh, proponent for this animal-based diet. Now, I too, when I first read the book, was like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, why ever touch a vegetable again, for instance? And, you know, I think, you know, the the further you dig into it and and just hearing his current uh, conversation around his own book and some of his mindset, you can kind of see it's not as extreme or dogmatic as that, as all vegetables bad, you should never touch it, you know, per se. But at the same time, what he was trying to prove with the book, and I think what you're trying to kind of just convey with this first myth busting, is that we've been led to believe that meats, uh, and certainly red meat is bad for us, that uh, it can create cardiovascular disease, it can cause all types of uh, chronic health problems, and that the answer to all nutritional concerns is more fruits and more vegetables. And what he kind of myth busts, as well as what you're kind of um, explaining a little bit, is that that's not necessarily the truth, that there is, in fact, a lot of good quality properties in properly and sustainably sustainably grown meat. You know, we're talking about mm-hmm. rotating fields and, and pasture-raised animals and, and things of that nature, and that plants aren't all benign, that plants are designed to survive, that they have phytochemicals and other nutrients inside the plants that can be disruptive to individuals, whether it's the digestive system uh, and and so forth, and that we just need to approach nutrition a little more uh, complex than all plants are good and all meat is bad, and instead say, well, hold up, what are the most nutrient-dense foods out there? And to your point, there's the the all the array of vitamins that you can get are is found in like a nose to tail type of um uh uh type of eating but to your point as well as uh, also when you start thinking okay so what does that mean does that mean i have to go eat liver does that mean i have to go eat heart does that mean i have to go eat spleen and kidney and the answer is in a perfect world yes but in our society that's really not as attainable uh, for most of us uh, on a daily basis. And I've shared this um, with some weekly health tips that I do. Uh, I personally take the heart and soil desiccated organ supplements. And I found that that is my quickest hack to that uh, idea that nose to tail eating without actually having to eat some of those organs on a consistent basis. So I don't know if you've looked into some things like that, or if you guys offer that kind of stuff through your store that you do. Um, we do have one here. We have the vital proteins and we have a ground beef, uh, ancestral, uh, I'll think of the brand, but, uh, that has heart and liver in it as well. Gotcha. And that's really good. Um, but yeah. And, and so I should be clear with the audience as well as like, I, I'm not carnivore. Um, I eat other foods. What for me, is so profound is, you know, when in doubt, right? So it's kind of, because this is from the behavioral side of things, what we come up against. It's like, oh, you know, I've been, I've been eating kind of crappy, time to get back on track, right? And, and a lot of times what stops us from getting on track is just the process of trying to figure out what we're gonna do. That is exhausting in and of itself. But if I tell you, hey, when in doubt, like get a steak, you know, get some ground beef. And here's the other part of it too, being animal based. I don't even eat that much steak. I eat just a lot of ground beef. So I eat tacos, I eat meatballs, sloppy joes, uh, you know, you name it, just like different ways of cooking ground beef. 
Um, and so it's super simple, right? And it's a default that is really enjoyable too. So like when you're saying, yeah, carnivore, strict carnivore socially is really challenging. But me telling you, hey, your number one superfood is beef. That's, I don't know. As a guy, I'm like, that's the best possible news somebody yeah, no, can give me. It's absolutely liberating. Uh, and right. I say that, that that is uh, something that I thought as well. Uh, and, and you're right. It, it doesn't mean you have to buy a, a big ribeye and eat that on a daily basis. Sure, if your budget affords that and you can do that, you know, more power to you. But it doesn't have to be that, right? And, and that's yeah. kind of what you're saying. And going back to what you said earlier about just simplicity. And right. I, I think that's the other thing that inhibits people from accelerating that diet is they overcomplicate it. And I think to your point, you know, if it went in doubt, get a good piece of meat. I don't know many people that would, you know, be upset with that recommendation. Um, right. right. You know, um, yeah. So I will share, um, you know, with the viewers, a uh, really good reference or book if you want to have like a more accessible version of animal based is going to be The Vertical Diet by Stan Efferding. And so his thing's basically red meat and rice, um, but then he includes a base diet that has things like potatoes and salmon and eggs and nuts and citrus fruits. And so a little bit more variety, but still a pretty short list of kind of your default foods. Um, and so that's a little bit more accessible. I will say I do disagree with his chapter on, or his take on GMO and labelings. Um, he kind of poo-poos that like, oh, it's no big deal. Organic doesn't matter. GMO doesn't matter. It's all just marketing, which I think I understand his reasoning. I think he's trying to lower the barrier to entry, right? You don't want to say, oh, you have to eat organic or it's not even worth your time because uh, then people are just, again, we're trying to make it simple. Um, but if you can afford it, I do think that it, it's not even, I think, like it's a fact, you're going to get much more nutrition from a naturally raised piece of grass-fed beef there's going to be more vitamins and minerals and a better fatty acid profile. Here's the other thing too, because beef is being demonized right now, like cow farts are somehow causing global warming. But, you know, and I heard on a podcast too, they were saying whatever, we, we all need to like just walk to work unless we could come up with this, you know, magical technology that sequesters carbon out of the atmosphere. And I'm like, yeah, it's called, well, A, it's called trees. And B, it's called soil. People don't realize that soil sequesters carbon. And soil, healthy soil, comes from grass-fed, pasteurized, like actual grazing beef. Um, but fake meat is coming from monocultures that's destroying the soil and causing all kinds of desertification and all kinds of environmental issues. So I know I don't think we want to go that far down the, the rabbit hole, but... Um, you know, if, if you come across resistance and people are like, well, you're just like an evil, you know, uh, environment hating meat eater, whatever, like thing that's out there right now is like, no, actually grass fed beef is extremely regenerative and healing to the environment and whatever, look into it. There's a lot of, I can maybe share some resources to check out, uh, the yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up because that is sometimes the counter argument, uh, especially from those individuals who feel like we are destroying our environment and our society as a result of these agricultural, you know, farms. And done incorrectly, they're absolutely right. When, when we have these feedlots and we have some of these other fact, you know, uh, ways of raising the cattle. It isn't as well sustainable, but the, what you're referring to is that regenerative agriculture where they're allowing, you know, the, the animal to excrement on the soil and that gets chomped into it and then they rest the, the field and then they allow that whole cycle of life to come in. And to your point as well, yeah, that carbon uh, footprint is like two to three percent maybe of the total carbon 
I think they've shown recently with some of these uh, regenerative farms with the cattle that it's like negative. But oh, the, wow. The so soil even... actually sequesters more carbon than they'll let off. Well, there you uh, go. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the point being, it's, it's extremely small amount that uh, that is not what's causing glo- global warming right. is, is beef you, farming. You, yes. You eating steak is not making the ice caps melt. Um, well, the, the, anyway, yeah. conventional, far, conventional farming is an issue, but so yeah, there's a way to, if you are into that environmental impact, that's one more reason to go kind of natural organic with the added benefit of it will be much better for you. All right. So we kind of knocked this first myth out of the, you know, out of the water here saying that diet has to be plant-based, that meat is bad. You're saying, keep it simple. Beef is fine. uh, Especially if it's in this regenerative, you know, agriculturally grown way you mentioned sleep. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what is the myth around sleep and what are some things that you can be doing to maximize that? Yeah. So, I mean, the myth I think people come to me and say, well, I'm just a night owl, right? Um, And my answer is, no, you're not. Like, you are a homo sapien, and we are diurnal. And so it's pretty well established that you're supposed to go to sleep when the sun goes down and and wake up when the sun comes up, where it's a a circadian rhythm. Um, And so if you're not synced up with that, it's by choice. And maybe, you know, it doesn't feel like by choice right now um, because you're kind of ingrained into your habits, but there's so much evidence that if you can get at least closer synced up, I know like wintertime, it'd be kind of ridiculous to go to bed when the sun goes down. Um, But the closer you are to being synced up with that, we were talking about improvements in immune system, in hormones, in, in mental functioning, I mean, really, you are going to thrive if you can go to bed early and get up early. Um, And, you know, that's one of these myths where it's like, all right, now you're just kind of like the annoying parent, like telling me how to live my life. Um, But it is true. And if if you're struggling with it, there's a lot of easy things you can do. And it's mostly, uh, you know, about light in your eyes. Um, Dr. Huberman on his podcast explains it the best. Um, but you know, easy tip would be like after, if it's 11 PM, you got to turn the screens off, you know, shut it down TV phone. Um, because if you're looking at that artificial light, you are basically signaling to your body it's daytime. And that's where you catch that second wind and you're just going to become perpetually dysregulated. Um, so try and dim the lights in the house, try and have whatever's happening inside, reflect what's happening outside um, and just get outside. Like get outside in the morning, get outside in the evening. The more actual sunlight you get in your eyes, you don't have to literally stare at the sun, but the more you'll be synced up, the more you'll actually be tired in the evening and go to bed, listen to that. Like don't fight it, you know, um, you'll feel better. Yeah, so one of the things that obviously we get some kickback with uh, as F3 guys, for the most part, most of us work out early in the morning. Usually it's before the sun even comes up. And one of the things that we hear a lot from individuals who are trying to, you know, encourage to come out and work out with us is, oh my gosh, that is so early. Uh, You know, I, I never can get up that early. And because I go to bed too late really is kind of what it comes down to. And, or, or I just can't fall asleep that early. And, and one of the, you know, one of the things that people find out really quickly is if you get up early enough during the day and you kind of start your day off right when that sunrise comes up and uh, do some, you know, exertion, get out there, breathe that oxygen, do some exercise. By the end of the day, you know, your body's definitely starting to to, to lock down. But unfortunately, to your point, most of us train ourselves to, to be fixated on these blue light emitting screens. And I'm assuming that's what you're referring to when you said light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. The blue light versus sunlight. Yeah. Um, I I didn't want to try and go too technical with it, but you know, again, I stealing all this from Dr. Huberman, but you know, the brain is just taking in signals from, from light that it's like a timestamp on where we're at in the day. Um, and so the more you're outside, 
getting sunlight in your eyes. Not, you don't have to literally stare at the sun, but you, there's a timestamp. Your brain knows, you know, over millions of years of evolution, um, exactly where you're at. And so if you watch the sunrise, that's awesome. It's, it's fine that you get up before the sunrise. And if you're outside at dusk, like even better. But, but if you're in an office like I'm in all day, and then you go home and you turn the TV on and the lights are on, like you're, you're going to be lost and you're not going to be tired. You're, you can easily stay up till midnight, 2 a.m., um, but you'll, you'll pay in your health in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, it's statistically, and I've shared this a, a little bit in the past too, as far as, you know, you need X amount of hours a night of sleep for that rest and repair, because that's what sleep is designed to do. And I've shared that even research studies show that it's almost impossible to, to lose weight, get healthy with less than six hours of sleep on average per night. So really kind of dialing into that bedtime and I always preach 10 to six, kind of that perfect sleep window. Now, obviously we get up a little bit earlier um, to go exercise out, out in the mornings, but in a perfect world, if you know, that wasn't something you had to deal with, you know, being, being asleep by 10 PM and then, you know, waking up by 6 AM is really that sweet spot that I've found with that circadian rhythm. And that some of that 10, a, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. window is really where the majority of that rest and restoration can come in um, yeah. to maximize your efforts. I have heard another coach say that it's like every hour of sleep before midnight is worth two. Yeah, um, I've heard the yeah, same thing. So. Yeah. And I wouldn't take that literally, but I think the point is like, get to bed. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and to your point that you made earlier is, you know, if you're not in sleep by 11 PM, there's this phenomenon that happens that kind of kicks in, you know, the circadian rhythm is kind of based on cortisol production and release, as you know, and the pineal gland telling the rest of the body to, to either produce that and the melatonin that's supposed to secrete at the end of the day to help you fall asleep. Well, that can get all, uh, you know, messed up, you know, when you're forcing yourself, you know, to alter that circadian rhythm. And that's why like individuals who have that third shift and they work third shift for years and years and years, they find it's extremely difficult on the back end to actually start sleeping a regular cycle because they've retrained that system to be so off that, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of effort to, to reverse that. Totally. Yeah. Shift workers struggle and, and it's hard, you know, I get, you gotta make a dollar. Um, and some of the most important work is, you know, shift work. Um, I wish I had a great answer, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And so you, I think you just have to be that much better with everything else. If that's the schedule you have to work. Yeah, I agree. So tell me about movement. What, what is the myth around movement and, and what's a, a strategy to implement? So being a barbell enthusiast I, is why I'd probably come across this the most. And it's something either to the fact of I'm too old, I'm too weak, too fragile. It's not for me. Whether they say that explicitly, but it's the idea that what they they really will say is like, you know, I really don't want big muscles. I just want to tone and, and like, is there something I can do with bands? And, and the short answer from my perspective is no. There, don't get me wrong. There's excellent fitness to be had from running and calisthenics. I was in the military. I did all that. Um, but I do believe re some resistance training, even if it's once a week, needs to be in the regimen for everybody. Um, and, you know, as far as even for what's coming down the line. So, you know, really what I'm doing, my purpose is to help people with what we call health span versus lifespan. Right. So there's a lot of medicine, you know, modern conventional medicine that can keep you alive for a really long time. But like I mentioned, you know, luckily I'm kind of in this other job now and I'm getting exposed to clientele who are a little bit older and I'm seeing is like, man, I had no idea how many people are dealing with osteoporosis, how many people are, are, you know, can barely get up the steps. So just 
kind of global weakness that could have been avoided altogether through a basic strength training regimen. And this is that same coming back to like, keep it simple. You know, a lot of, you could probably do it all with a kettlebell, to be honest. Um, if, you know, access to equipment's an issue. Um, but if you get a barbell and learn how to, to squat, deadlift and bench press and do some barbell rows, some overhead press, that's really all you need. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. Again, like I said, I kind of was into CrossFit and whatever. I'm not, I don't even want to do the disc CrossFit thing. It's super fun, uh, CrossFit, but a lot of it's not necessary. I mean, we can really kind of just boil it down to sort of four or five movements that you can progress on for almost forever. There's always some progress to be made. And I see, I'm seeing people of all ages. I've, I had a, a couple, they were in their seventies who I was training and they were just fearless. And so much of it's your attitude. And, you know, I'm going, all right, well, this is our program. This is what we do. You know, we squat on Monday and we bench. And so like, okay, well, just tell me how to do it. And, and I'll tell you, Jack, I mean, this guy was 75 years old and he was squatting 300 pounds for reps. And that was not required. Like, I, and I don't want to, you know, scare people off. That's that much is not necessary, but he was fearless and took that attitude and age was just a number to him. And it's totally possible. And so um, big myth that really there's anybody who should be excluded from resistance training. And, and in my opinion, if you leave up to me at barbell training. Got it. So, you know, as F3 guys, most of us, you know, we work, one of the core principles of F3 is we work out outside. That, that's sure. just kind of yeah. the, the, what it is. Now, I've seen guys get extremely creative. Uh, we have a guy here locally that used to drive around in a trailer with gym equipment and he would just kind of set it up in the parking lot with ropes, you know, battle ropes and uh, weights and some different things that you could almost implement a, a gym atmosphere outside. Now that's obviously the extreme. That's a, what most people don't have, but I will say that's pretty popular in the F3 culture is uh, those cinder blocks that you can buy like at Lowe's or Home Depot, uh, certainly uh, kettlebells you mentioned, and then rucksacks, uh, which you oh, probably sure. are familiar, you know, the weight. Yeah. Uh, that, that we can put in the backpacks. So with that type of equipment in mind, uh, kind of maybe walk us through what we could be doing from a resistance standpoint out and out in what we call the gloom to, to add yeah. some of that weight aspect to our exercise. Well, a rucksack is perfect. You can do everything with a rucksack, right? You've, you've got to lift it up. That's a deadlift. You could, I'm sure, use it, you know, depending what they look like, but you know, Somehow you can do cleans with it, press it overhead. Um, obviously, you're doing carries. Um, you could do squats. So you can do all those things with a rucksack. I have in mind some of these sandbags that kind of have handles on them, right? So, and yeah, the, the, those are available as well. I mean, depending on yeah. where you go. I mean, uh, you know, I personally own a 60-pound sandbag, uh, a weight vest. I own a rucksack. Uh, those are just different things that we can bring to, a, 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 you know, an AO and, and implement in our exercise routine. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and so I, I didn't want to bring this up because I kind of, I work from sort of an evolutionary lens and I kind of use the, the hunter as my avatar or archetype for what you need. And it, even if that's not your thing, um, you know, Think about like sort of the modern warrior or even that, just like a soldier, right? Like what would you, if truly your life depended on your fitness, what would you need to do, right? You need to be able to get around on your feet. So yeah, you do need to do some running or at least rucking. Um, you would need to be able to lift heavy things and carry, right? Like if you're going to hunt, you got to track for miles You've got to have some accuracy, whether it's in throwing or, you know, hopefully you have a, a bow or something like that. Um, and then you've got to be able to get the animal back to camp. Or if you're a soldier, you've got to be able to carry your ruck and, and execute whatever the mission is. Um, so, yeah, I will deviate there as far as like 
does it need to be an ask the grass barbell squat for fitness? No, not necessarily. But if you look at the body and what goes into those necessary movements, you know, it, you got to be able to express strength through your joints. So if you guys are doing rucking um, at AO, it's like, okay, you've got this heavy piece of equipment. How can you move your joints with it and get some resistance? So get the knees through the full range of motion, a squat, get the hips through a full range of motion with a deadlift or a clean um, and get your arms through a full range of motion. You want to press and you want to pull. And it, it's that simple. Like all these different bands and lifts and machines that you see in these commercial gyms are fine and cool, but not necessary. I mean, when do you do any of these things in real life? Um, so that's kind of how I look at it. It's going back to the simplicity and just knowing like, Hey, I don't need more than this. Now, granted, if you want, if you bring out battle, like all that's fun, you know, for me, that's your, that's your produce section. Like go, go to town, have a delicious salad, go do all the fun workouts you want to do as long as it's fun for you. And you're not feeling pressure. Like these are the things necessary to get to where I want to go. You can keep it simple and do steak and squats. Maybe that's better than barbell beef. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And, and I appreciate, you know, you kind of elaborating a little bit on that. And I'm a big fan of functional movement. Uh, you know, a lot of times I have to teach my patients because I'll, I'll have patients ask all the time, you know, what are some things I should be doing in the gym and my exercise routine? And it's, you know, women more than men typically come up with these just bizarre exercises that they're doing that I'm, I'm always asking them when in life in an actual situation, right. will you be doing that motion um, that will help you in, improve your, your, your outcome. And in most times it's, they have no idea. So back to the, the big, and you mentioned earlier, and maybe you can be uh, clarify You said there's five movements that you think everybody can be accelerating on. Yeah. Can you repeat um, what those are? Yeah. So it'll be squat, deadlift, press. So that's kind of two, I would say bench press, overhead press and a pull. And there's a few there. So you could do like a barbell row or a pull up. And then I think run, I mean, you should at least be able to jog um, or very least speed walk, but if I, uh, I'm already called the princess. So if I get out my speed walking, you know, <laughs> hip swing, then uh, I don't think I'll ever be invited back. So, oh no, you're definitely invited back. <laughs> I expect you to, to post next week, uh, after this thing airs. Yeah. So let's talk about mindset. You mentioned mindset, uh, as kind of the last myth slash master key that we had talked about at the beginning of the show, fill us in on your thoughts around that. Yeah. So what I had shared with you, was I, don't know, I kind of stuck it with mindset because um, that's a broad category, but it was I think it's important. I want to talk about just breath and learning how to breathe. Um, and again, I saw this in the military. Um, we actually one of the psychologists I worked with her kind of most successful program, or at least most popular, the one you know a lot of patients won't show up for whatever reason, but they would all show up for her uh, progressive muscle relaxation class. And there was, that's a little bit of like tensing, but she also did some breathing stuff in there. And I know people were coming in and doing these muscle exercises and breathing. And they would tell me on the way out, like, oh, I feel so good. I'm so relaxed. Um, and then kind of came along Wim Hof. A lot of people are familiar with Wim Hof and I'm still in contact with you know, some guys in the military and they're like, dude, I do Wim Hof every day. And it, it changed my life. Like I came back from deployment and, you know, whatever, had a lot of on all cylinders. Um, so they do this Wim Hof. Now for me, I've kind of gone deeper into some of the breath holding um, and, and kind of low oxygenated or uh, high altitude simulation breathing techniques for sports performance um but the key i guess here is with the wim hof essentially what you're doing is like three rounds of 30 deep breaths followed by a breath hold and at the end of it you'll feel you feel very relaxed and what you can actually do is 
kind of take your body from that sympathetic state so that when I'm saying people are, feel like they're still firing on all cylinders, they're in that kind of stuck in that fight or flight. Um, you can, through breathing, take yourself into parasympathetic, that rest and digest. Um, and that can be really just profound to understand that you are in control and you can control that. Um, and then kind of what follows from that is just a lot of health and happiness and it'll boost, it, it, it feeds into everything else. You're going to sleep better. You're going to, your hunger signals, your hunger hormones are going to be better balanced. Um, so I do challenge people, like if they're feeling like they want to eat, right? First, we kind of do an assessment, like ask yourself, are you actually hungry? And so what you would listen to is like, well, like, is my stomach rumbling? You know, am I lightheaded? Like what, like what's telling you you're hungry? And if it's not a physical thing, usually it's some emotional or stress thing. So I challenge people at that point, if that's the case, try and do a round of Wim Hof and then ask yourself again, if you still want to eat. Um, and there's like a million breathing apps out there. It doesn't have to be Wim Hof. Uh, that's just one that I think is kind of popular right now. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. And there's a lot of things you can do with it. Once you get into that world, you can use it to actually amp yourself up for a workout. There's breathing techniques. Um, there's ways to improve your endurance. There's ways to, you know, nasal breathe and improve your sleep. Um, and so it's just a world that I want to encourage people to open up to. Cause I think, especially with men, like my journey, I would have called myself princess too. Like, like, I don't want to do like, can we just lift weights? Like, I, I don't want to talk about diet. Like, I'm not going to meditate. Like that's stupid. And, you know, but I kind of was forced into learning about these things because I want to help people with their health. And it's like, these are inevitable kind of truths that you run into if you go down this path um, and then you do them, you're like, oh, wow, that's really kind of nice. Like, why, you know, why am I so stubborn? Why is my, my ego getting in the way? Um, so yeah, I would just for like the mindset piece, encourage people to check out some form of, you know, what they would call um, breath work. Yeah, and I, and I totally agree with you. I, I think uh, that is something that's overlooked by a lot of people just because for all, you know everyone, we just breathe obviously uh, unaware that we're breathing. It's, it's an autom autonomic thing that's happening. And so we don't put a lot of thought and energy into that. And we think when it comes to health and when it comes to physical fitness, we think of the weight training, we think of the diet, we think of all the quote unquote, hard work that we have to put into things. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like doing breathing exercises is too easy to work and too right. easy to be physiologically uh, effective. But to your point, uh, it is. And, and I'm familiar with Winhoff as well. Uh, I've, I've done some of his training and done the 30 breaths. And then, you, and so Pax, just to kind of clarify what he was saying is essentially you do 30 deep or sh more of shallow, deep breaths, um, that was an oxymoron, wasn't it? So, okay, it, yeah, he tells like, you to breathe. He tells you to breathe deep, but it's it's kind of a rapid pace. Yeah, so there you go. There technically, you go. it's it's not super deep, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little, and there's videos that you can like pull up on YouTube, and he, he and he himself walks you through it, and then you hold your breath because what they're finding out is your ability to hold your breath is not how much oxygen you have in your system; it's the buildup of carbon dioxide. And yeah. so the more you expel the carbon dioxide prior to, you know, closing down and holding your breath, the longer you can hold it. And then at the end of that time period, whether it's a minute, two minutes, three minutes, you exhale, you do another deep breath in and you hold it again. And believe it or not, you can actually hold it typically longer the second time and the third time. And it just kind of leads into that, um, that, that point that the more we kind of deplete this carbon dioxide out of the system, uh, the more you can hold the breath and then you get all those physiological benefits, which, which you've kind of already mentioned before. Yeah. Now, do you personally do it on a daily basis? Do you do it periodically? How, I, how do lately I've been doing the Wim Hof. Um, I did one right before I got on here because it does help me 
relax. Um, but this past summer, I was messing around with some different protocols for sports performance. Um, there's Patrick McCown, I think is how you say it, wrote a um, book called The Oxygen Advantage, and he has a YouTube channel. He's all about nose breathing. Um, and with the idea with the CO2 is actually building up your CO2 tolerance. And so his kind of critique of Wim Hof is from a sports performance aspect, it's actually not great to offload all of your CO2 um, because there's some benefits there. CO2 actually dilates your blood vessels to allow oxygen to transport better. Um, and if you're hyperventilating, then you're not really doing much oxygen exchange. So if you can, through breath holding exercises, you can um, become more tolerant to CO2, which means when you sense CO2 rising in your body, which is what happens when you're exercising, you start, you do your rock or your run, you start breathing heavier. That's your body sensing a rise in CO2 and saying, start breathing harder. So if you're more tolerant, then you breathe harder later um, is a part of it. And you are able to keep more CO2 in the body, which he argues is actually a good thing. So it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. And then the other one I did, and I'll point this out, you know, I think one of the most underrated endurance athletes of our age is actually David Blaine. He's thought of as a magician, but he's an endurance athlete. And he did a 17 minute underwater breath hold on live television. And he shared his technique on, it's on YouTube. And his whole thing is I could take anybody who's never even tried a breath hold before and get you to do five minutes on your first try. And Houdini's record was like three and a half minutes. So, um, and so there's a tutorial and I've done that a couple of times and Basically, what you're doing is you're um, overriding that response to CO2. So it's like a series of like really deep, slow breaths, followed by hyperventilating kind of back and forth. And you culminate in this like epic breath hold. Um, and so that, I don't know. I have fun. I can narrow it out. So, so what was your record? Yeah. What'd you get to? I, I got the five. Actually, I take it back. So I stopped at four minutes out of pure panic. Okay. Like I did not, I did not need to breathe, but I was alone. I'm just like, and they tell you like, definitely don't do this in a pool. Do not stand up. Um, But I was kind of sitting there and I was like, I just don't want to wake up like on the ground because you, here's the thing. If you override that, you know, CO2 signal, you can still pass out from lack of oxygen. It's probably not going to happen if you're just sitting still, but like you could, use this technique to get a max like underwater hold. If that's something you're into, if you're training for like the Navy SEALs or whatever, I, I did use it to get a 50 meter underwater on a whim over the summer. Um, but you could run into that like shallow water blackout cause you won't, you're not going to get any signal. So you're just going, going, going. And then hopefully you wake up and somebody's resuscitating you. So I kind of freaked out. I was at four minutes and I was like, okay, Point made, like I'm clear it worked, but I don't want to pass out. So I, I don't know, I chickened out. No, no, it makes yeah. perfect sense. And Pax, if you're currently driving, please do not uh, be practicing your Wim Hof method yeah. as, as we talk about it on the podcast today. Well, Dennis, man, I appreciate all the information you've brought to us up to this point. I just got a couple of kind of closing questions for you. So just you've you've explained a lot of good information. Uh, and, and certainly we could have kind of went down a rabbit hole of each of those little points and you've delivered I, I, tons of value and tons of points up to this point. But if there was like three quick tips that you could, t- you know, somebody sitting on the couch thinking about getting involved with their health and wellness, um, what would, you know, be three tips that you could give, you know, whether somebody's just starting out or somebody plateaued with their fitness to kind of get them motivated on their hunt for wellness? So keep it simple. Okay. Beef is enough. When in doubt, eat some beef. Um, But, you know, look into it. Check out Stan Efferding's vertical diet. Check out some of the carnivore stuff. You don't have to do it exactly like they say, but wrap your head around that idea. 
Um, keep it simple with movement, but move every day. You know, walk, something I didn't bring up is walk. You know, that 10,000, it's really important if you can get it. And that's really kind of a minimum. Uh, walk, you know, move your joints every day through the full range of motion. Um, early to bed, early to rise and, and breathe and try some breathing. Because I, I suspect most people have not gone there. I, maybe a lot have, but um, if you can make a practice of it and find some version that you like, it'll change your life. Perfect. All right. And, and before I ask the last question, I just want to take a moment here just to thank you again and appreciate your willingness to come on and share your expertise and spending some time with everybody. If someone wanted to reach out to you or follow you on the social media, what, what are some good options for them to kind of reach out to you or, or learn more about you? Sure. Instagram, I'm at Denny.cook. So Denny with a Y, cook with an E. Um, and YouTube, it's Dennis Cook comma cscs that's important um and that's how you'll find me awesome man uh and so my last question is this what is your definition of wellness so (laughs) i need i should give you like a quick one um boy so i wanted to bring up the biopsychosocial model and talk about quality of life and all these different measures but at the end of the day you should feel energized. You should feel happy. You should feel strong. That should be your default. If you're not walking around life, you know, and look, there's bad stuff that happens. Like, don't be like the weird, like happy all the time guy. But like, if you don't wake up feeling like, you know, you, you could crush the day if, if you wanted to, um, then something's off because you should feel like that. So kind of that, that hunter, that warrior mindset, right? Like what's, what's stopping you from being able to do that? Perfect, I think that that works. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, Dennis. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the hunt for wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness.